Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Father's Day to you. Again, uh, just really glad uh, you're here and really just want to bless uh, the dads this morning. Um, we're doing a message like this, of course. Uh, it is really sort of directed to the dads, but I think there's in the text we're going to look at and all of that, there's just so much richness for the whole community. So we want to enter into that all together. You know, as I was thinking about fathers and thinking about Father's Day and wondering sort of what to share, I sort of began to ask myself, what is it really that I as a dad, I as a father, um, really need to hear? What is it that I really need to know? And as I uh, wrestled with that, and you know, you often wrestle with what sort of text you're going to preach from on a day like this, especially when it's a repeated uh, you know, subject matter that you maybe will tackle year after year after year. You know, you often think you might go back to Abraham and Isaac, or you might go to the story of uh, Jacob, or you might go to the story of, of whoever, Noah and his sons, or David and Jesse, or some of these Old Testament father-son relationships that are really important. But as I was praying, I felt actually really drawn to the story of Paul and Timothy. Um, now, Paul and Timothy aren't, aren't blood-related, but there is a, a relationship between Paul and Timothy that is very, very much a father-son uh, relationship. Paul, if you, maybe you're new to the faith here, not know who Paul is, probably most of you do, but Paul is, uh, you know, a great, important apostle uh, who uh, wrote and spoke um, in the life of the early church. He wrote um, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Uh, he started out his career as uh, really somebody who was persecuting Christianity. He was a rabbi who was uh, very, very zealous. He was a Pharisee and ultimately had a conversion experience and became one of really Christianity's most important and most significant voices in the life of the early church. Uh, really, most people, even historians, would look back to Paul and say uh, that his voice is maybe second only to Jesus in terms of a voice that strongly influenced Western civilization. Uh, and two of those books that Paul wrote, two of those 13 books that he wrote, were actually letters to a guy named Timothy, letters to his spiritual son. And when you look at that, those letters, uh, you see in them just an incredible sort of intimacy in the way Paul talks about Timothy. Uh, he says, uh, my true child in the faith. Uh, this is, again, very, fairly unusual language for a uh, man-to-man conversation uh, in the ancient world. Um, my true child in the faith, or um, my child, or my beloved child. And in Philippians 2.2, it says, uh, he's speaking to the church in Philippi, and he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. You know his proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. And so Paul is really uh, making it clear that this relationship that he has with Timothy is, is a father-son relationship. And so we, looking at Paul as somebody who wrote uh, these words to Timothy, but they essentially became scripture, the fathers of the church saw enough value in what Paul wrote to Timothy to say, this is something that is of value to all fathers. This is of something that is of value to all Christians. And so when we listen to the words of Paul uh, speaking to Timothy, I think we can put ourselves in the story in Timothy's shoes and begin to hear uh, the words of 
of God spoken through Paul's voice to Timothy and ultimately uh, flowing forward um, to us. We can hear our Heavenly Father uh, speaking to us. And so we want to kind of enter into that way. And just as as men, just kind of saying, we, we actually need fatherly voice in our lives. You might be a 60 or 70 year old man, um, but you still need a fatherly voice in your life. You still need to hear the voice of your heavenly father uh, writing to you, speaking to you across the years, uh, whispering in your ear. And so we just want to come really humbly to the text and just sort of admit our need as men, not, not only to be fathers, but as men who need to be fathered. And just allow Paul uh, to father us a little bit through this text. And so let's just pray and let's just kind of enter into that space. Uh, Father, we come to the text, we come to the scriptures and we say, we ask that they would speak to us, that we would hear uh, the voice of our Heavenly Father uh, giving us wisdom and counsel across the years uh, through the voice of Paul Uh, through uh, to Timothy, ultimately affirmed by the church fathers as the word of God and ultimately coming to us. And we just come uh, humbly and we say we need to be fathered. We need uh, your voice speaking in our ears. We humble ourselves and say that we actually as men, we're not grown up yet. Um, We need you to speak to us and guide us and lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's just do a little backstory, and you can understand the importance of this uh, relationship between Paul and Timothy. What you're looking at is a map here of Asia Minor, what is now Turkey. And it's, it's not, maybe not quite enough contrast, but you can see that Paul started out in Antioch, took a ship across, went north, and he went up into the north, and he came to a place up there just south of a place called Iconium, a place called Lystra, and that's where Paul met Timothy. And we see that story in Acts 4, 6 to 7. Timothy isn't mentioned there, um, but uh, Paul comes into town. He's fleeing from persecution in Iconium. He goes south to Lystra, and he comes down, and then he just begins to continue to preach the gospel in that space. Uh, he heals a man. It's, it's an amazing story in Acts 14. Paul heals a man who is crippled from birth. Uh, the people of that town of Lystra sort of look at Paul and say, and Barnabas is with him and say, hey, this is like, this is an amazing miracle. It's like the gods have returned and they begin to be called Barnabas Hermes and they begin to call Paul Zeus. And I've never been called Zeus before. Um, I don't think any man has ever sort of had that kind of affirmation. I don't think that's what we're really after. Uh, but Paul hears this affirmation, this affirmation of the miracle and says, you know, your understanding of where this is coming from is misdirected. And Paul begins to rebuke them. And, and rebuke them for their idolatry and rebuke them for the other idolatries in their life. And they ultimately say, hey, Paul, uh, we're going to stone you and we just basically want to kill you because uh, you've rebuked us for our idolatry. And so the people of Lystra uh, rebuke Paul. Uh, they stone him and they drag him out of town. And it says the believers gathered around him and sort of carried him back to town, nursed his wounds, and the next day sent him off to the next town to go and preach. And what we know is that Timothy was probably there in that crowd. Timothy heard Paul's sermons, heard Paul preach. When we get a little bit further into Acts 16, we find out that Timothy is now a disciple, and Paul meets him, and, uh, and he's, he's a follower of Jesus through seeing probably what had happened to Paul. Uh, interesting thing about Lystra and Derby, they're in the province of Galatians, or Galatia. How many of you know about the book of Galatians? 
Well, Paul wrote the book of Galatians about this, at the end of the year or maybe the next year after he'd been there. And he writes uh, to them, he says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Timothy would have probably received that letter and had that read to him because Timothy was one of the people that Paul was calling, oh, foolish Galatians, Right. But he's there, he's hearing that, he's growing in his faith. And Paul comes back on his next journey, and he takes a, a land route and goes over at that point, uh, goes through that whole area, travels into Lystra again. And it says in Acts 16, 1-3, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And it says in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So Paul saw something special in Timothy, saw value in him, saw that he was going to be a great help to him in the gospel, maybe foresaw some of Timothy's future, and he said, uh, come with me. It says that it took him and circumcised him because of the Jewish uh, leaders who all knew that Timothy's father was a Greek. So right there we can see Paul uh, walking in some fatherly authority and being a father, a person of high trust. I mean, how many of you guys are going to let some older kindly gentleman circumcise you? Right? This is, a, this, is a, uh, this is a sign of trust, a sign of uh, respect, a sign of authority that Paul would feel like he could ask this of Timothy and take him off from his hometown, from Galatia, his province, uh, where he lived and begin to walk with him uh, all over the Roman world. And so Paul's walking in this fatherly authority. And when we get to uh, the rest of the New Testament, uh, we see that Timothy is an important figure in Paul's ministry. In fact, he's actually a co-author of a number of the books of the Bible. We often think of many of these letters of Paul as being written uh, by uh, Paul. But if you look at 2 Corinthians 1.1, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth. You get to uh, Philippians, Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints of Christ Jesus in here at Philippi. We see the same language in Colossians and 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and Philemon. And so Timothy is co-writing with Paul many of these words that are spoken by Paul and were so influential. Timothy's voice is, is echoed in them. He's hearing them. Uh, he's speaking them. He's uh, going from place to place with Paul uh, teaching. And in Hebrews 13, uh, we see that Timothy is just like Paul, been imprisoned. And so they have adventures all over Asia Minor. Um, and when we get to Paul closer later in life, at this point he's in Rome. Uh, he and Timothy have been doing ministry together for somewhere between 15 to 18 years. Paul writes the book of First Timothy, writes just a letter. We call it a book, but it was really just a letter uh, to Timothy. And, and at this point, he's knowing that he's closer to the end of his journey. Uh, he's actually been in prison probably somewhere around 62 AD. Um, and he's just been released. There's a short period of time where he was released from being in house arrest, uh, released to minister for a while in Rome, and then later arrested and put in more of an actual prison uh, closer to the end of his life. But in that time when he was out and about, he's realizing his ministry is coming to an end and wanting to pour something special uh, into the life of Timothy. He's wanting to invest something in his son. And most of what we see in 1 Timothy is actually reflected in 2 Timothy, so we'll spend most of our time there. But there's just one standout part in Timothy that we don't see quite as much in 1 Timothy that we don't see quite as much in 2 Timothy. And I just want to hit it really quick. It says this, Let no one despise you for your youth. 
Again, this is a voice of an aging father speaking to a beloved son. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And so listening to Paul's voice echoing across the years, spoken to Timothy, but also in a way for us, uh, Paul and, and our Heavenly Father wants you to know uh, that your behavior has a powerful influence on your community. Now, I've often heard this, this verse, you know, let no one despise you because you're young. And, and we, as young preachers, used to like this one a lot. Like, you guys have to pay attention to me. I know I'm young, but you have to listen to me. Desp don't despise me because of my youth. But reading the whole text, you know, Paul saying, let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and impurity. And what Paul is basically saying to Timothy here is, um, you're not too young to lead, but only if you're not a butthead, <laughs> right? You're not too young to lead, but only if you're, you're not a jerk. Like really uh, set an example in your life. Don't act in ways that causes people to despise you. Don't act in ways that causes people to not be able to hear you. Uh, you have an influence. You can be an example. Don't let your individualism give you permission for immaturity, uh, but begin to walk in health. Begin to walk in integrity. Begin to walk uh, following uh, after God's way, and then people will listen. People will hear you. Uh, people will uh, be able to uh, take on board what you're saying, not because you're enforcing respect in your life, but because you're walking in the way of God. And so hearing Paul again across the years for you men, can you hear Paul whisper uh, to you? You have an influence. You have a model. There are people on the journey who are younger than you, who, whether you know it or not, are looking up at you and looking at your life, looking at how you conduct yourself, and you're impacting how they're going to be. So live in the honor of that responsibility that's on you just by being who you're called to be. What God wants for you is to be a positive impact in your community. He wants that joy for you. He wants that life for you. And by the time we get to 2 Timothy, just a few years later, uh, Paul's in prison. And this is uh, in uh, a part of a prison that's still standing in Rome. It was built, apparently, uh, the initial structure, the initial uh, almost like wells in the ground that were used as prisons called the Tulaneum. And uh, that was basically a stone prison where it's believed that both Paul and Timothy were incarcerated uh, before their deaths. And so we can imagine a Paul sitting in this place. There's now a massive sort of church built over it, and it's kind of a shrine. If you go to Rome and you want to see this place, you can get a ticket and go visit it. And you can go stand in the place where Paul probably sat on that, uh, on that stone stool as he was uh, writing uh, the letter to Timothy. And so from the sort of echoey stone walls of that prison chamber, we, we hear Paul's voice uh, speaking. And in 2 Timothy, that advice uh, to Timothy gets more intimate and gets more personal. At this point, Paul's health is failing. At this point, he knows he's probably not ever getting out of there. This is under Nero at the time, and ultimately he knows that his, he'll be persecuted and ultimately killed. 
And so you can just sort of imagine, in 2 Timothy 4, 6, Paul says this, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I have just a few more words to write to you, is kind of what he's saying, right? And so Paul is just sort of pouring out the last of his heart. And I think it should stand out to us that in this moment where Paul actually, one of the themes in Timothy is that Paul has been rejected by so many people. There are tons of people who he has ministered to and cared for that have kind of walked away from the faith. And out of that grief that Paul is feeling personally, and at the moment of his death, Paul's thoughts aren't really for himself. Uh, his thoughts are of love and thoughts are of affection for Timothy. And he opens his book like this, Timothy, my beloved child, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I remember your tears. I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. And so this is the next thing that I want us to hear uh, coming from the mouth of our Heavenly Father echoed across the years is that your Heavenly Father has great affection for you. Your Heavenly Father has great affection for you. He loves you. Uh, just like Paul, remembering Timothy's tears, remembering the struggle that Timothy went through, uh, your Heavenly Father sees the struggle that you went through. He knows the story of your life. He knows the pains and the struggles that you've had. Your Heavenly Father identifies with you. He cares for you. He longs to see you. He longs for relationship. He longs for the joy of being in your presence. And I love this little piece here. Uh, I remember you constantly in my prayers. Now, our Heavenly Father is being prayed to by Jesus for you right now. Jesus is interceding for his church. Jesus is interceding uh, for his people. It says in Romans 8, and this is Paul again speaking, and something that brought Paul great comfort. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or nakedness or danger or sword? Because your heavenly father is being prayed to by Jesus for you. God is interceding with himself for you. Of all the things that the Godhead could be involved in, of all the things that the Godhead could be doing, they are aware of you, they see you, they know you, they love you, and they are talking amongst themselves about you and caring for you. Dads, you are loved. You are seen. You are known. Just as Paul sees and knows Timothy. And Paul goes on, Second uh, Timothy 1.6, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Uh, of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And what I want us to take from that is he wants you to know, okay, that's a typo. He wants you to know that you could do your part. He wants you to do your part to nurture your relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's pretty significant when you think about it. 
fan into flame the gift that is in you. So what Paul's talking about is he's laid hands on Timothy when Timothy was a young man, probably back in Lystra, laid hands on him and prayed for Timothy to receive the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying to Timothy, fan into flame that gift that is in you. The Holy Spirit is, lives inside you, is active. It says like the Spirit of God is like a wind and you never know where it's going. You don't know where it comes from. Jesus teaches about that sort of uh, un, untamable nature of the Holy Spirit. Yet Paul recognizes that somehow there is some way in which you as a man, you as a woman, uh, can have an active role in nurturing the life of the Holy Spirit within you. In some kind of miracle of the partnership with God, the Holy Spirit is alive when we uh, don't allow ourselves to be broken down by fear. When we move in power, when we exercise the power of God and minister in his name and rely on the strength of the Holy Spirit to do the things that we're called to do. When we pour out love, the Spirit pours more love in. When we exercise self-control, the Holy Spirit uh, fills us with power to exercise more self-control. We think of the Holy Spirit within us as, how many of you ever have, have worked with a wood stove? And if you know if that wood stove gets clogged and air can't get out, if power can't get poured out, the flame is stifled. The same is true of your life. If, you're, if you've got a candle and it's burning and you put the lid on the candle, on the jar, the flame goes out because the oxygen is expended. In order for the Holy Spirit to be alive inside of you, the Holy Spirit needs to be poured out. And you can play an active role of making sure that the life of the Holy Spirit gets air inside of you by pouring your life out, by relying on your gifts, by stretching yourself out. Fan into flame the gift that's in you. Fan into flame the gift that's in you. He wants you as men to do your part to keep the spirit alive inside of you. You have a role to play, an active role to play in that. He goes on, just another little piece of advice, a little gift to men. Paul's words echoing uh, from this echoey dungeon across time to you. He says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And I think this is amazing too. So we nurture the life of the Holy Spirit inside of us by pouring it out, by exercising love, by moving in power, by praying for the sick, by doing all of those kinds of things that we're called to do as we pour out, God pours in. And then it says the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit who dwells within you by the power of that Spirit, you guard the deposit. What he's saying is that the Holy Spirit, we often think of the Holy Spirit as something that is 100% forward-facing, always something fresh, always something new. But Paul is saying part of the role of the Holy Spirit is also to remind you of what the Holy Spirit has already done in your life. To remind you of what he's already spoken. The Holy Spirit does not want you to go forward not remembering and honoring and loving and appreciating the work that he's already done inside of you. He's spoken to you. He's guided you. He's given you thoughts and ideas. He's poured himself into you, and he doesn't want you to forget what he's done. Uh, the image on the screen here is um, just a bunch of papers that I pulled out quickly this morning I wanted to show you. 
from a file that I keep in my filing cabinet right beside my desk. And those are prophetic words that various people have uh, spoken over me at various times, especially when I was younger in my ministry. You can see that only one of them is typed and most of them are written in cursive that no one can read or write anymore. <laughs> That's how old I am. But these are treasures. These are things that people laid hands on me and prayed for me and spoke over me in my life. And, and, and words that I remember that, that the Lord had for me. Uh, communities that, that prayed for me. And I every now and then would pull these things out because I think the Holy Spirit would lead me, not always forward, but lead me backward to remember what he's done. To remember what he said. And to be standing on the firm foundation. He wants us to be attached to our foundation. Uh, going to 2 Timothy 3.14, continue in what you've learned uh, because you know those from whom you've learned it. How from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. How from infancy uh, you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. From infancy. How did you know the Holy Scriptures in infancy? For me, I, I learned them um, from hymns. Toby, can you do me a favor? In my briefcase... At the back there, you can see it. There's a hymnal. I would love it if you could bring that to me. A red book. <laughs> bring that up to me, Tobes. Yep. When we were in the middle of the pandemic, um, thank you, my son. Uh, when we were in the middle of the pandemic, um, you know, there were, there were some dark moments where, uh, thank you, my son. Um, uh, when, my beloved son. <laughs> Uh, there, were, there were some moments that were dark moments, right? Some moments that were difficult moments, moments of, you know, sitting there and being disconnected from my, my family and my church family and, you know, doing endless hours of vid video editing. Pastor Ivan knows what that was like as well. And there were dark moments of uh, wrestling with, um, okay, we're trying to restart church here and some people have left us who've been with us for a decade because we're not restarting meetings in person fast enough. And then as we start meetings and we get together, there are people who think we're taking off our masks too fast and they're leaving us because we're doing it too fast. And some people are, are leaving us because we didn't support the truckers as actively as we could have. And some people are leaving us because we didn't denounce the tractor, truckers as actively as we could have. <laughs> And you're in this place of pain where people are leaving the body for these small reasons and it's, and it's full of grief. And, and, and it was for, for many pastors, it was a dark time. And, and the old hymns that we used to listen to that, that I learned the scriptures through in my childhood would just come back to me, echoing, echoing. So what I did was I called the old Baptist church that I used to attend. And I got a hymnal. And I would sit there in those dark moments. And I would look. Oh, 317. I remember 317. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. From one hymn to another, 
I would sit at my desk and I would allow these old songs to just be a foundation. And the Lord wants that for you. He wants you not to abandon your foundations. He wants you not to abandon the things that he's spoken into you in your youth. And fathers, hear me. He wants you to build those foundations for your children. Do not take lightly the power of a Sunday school program. Do not take lightly the power of a community worshiping together. When I would listen to these hymns and listen to these songs, I could hear the voice of my grandfather who was sitting beside me, the voice of my father and the voice of my mother. And I know I was hearing my grandfather singing, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" And looking back, I know he walked through that and he sang that song through the Great Depression. He sang that song through the Second World War. He sang that song through all of the griefs and pains and perils of his life because he was standing on that same foundation. And we must build these foundations for our kids. And we must stand on them ourselves. They're a gift from God. And we love everything new. We love every new song. I love new songs that are written. I write new songs. I get a very small royalty check. But stand on the foundation of these beautiful things that have been given to us. And, and, and it's not just the hymns. It's the word of God itself. All scripture is God-breathed. This is Timothy hearing these words from Paul. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness. He wants you men to be trained in righteousness. He wants you to train in righteousness. He says it in 1 Timothy as well. Train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds present for the present life and also for the life to come. There is something about how you work at the righteousness of God in your life through training and through discipline and through learning that not only has an impact here and now and on your family in these days, but will have an impact on your forever. And I do not understand how this works. I do not understand how the new heaven and the new earth works. I do not understand how what we do here in life is somehow reflected in heaven, but it's not just a straight restart where everything is gone from your past and everything is new in heaven. Somehow what we do here echoes in eternity. It echoes in the future. And what you do in terms of training yourself for godliness is relevant for your forever. 
It means something. And that word training is to exert yourself, to stretch yourself. Just like, uh, you know, somebody who's going to the gym and working out, you lift those weights and you pump them and you're tearing muscles. You're breaking something down. You're pushing yourself to the breaking point. You're costing yourself something. You're exerting yourself. And somehow in the exertion and the stretching of yourself, you build yourself stronger and stronger. Uh, that word for training, gymnase, is where we get gymnasium in the Greek. And it actually means, it actually means to train naked or in a loincloth. It means you're, so, you're not just going out for a walk down the street. You're stripping down and you're, you're invested in this training. This is the thing that you're doing right now and there's nothing else you're doing. We, when was the last time I trained myself in the scriptures? When was the last time I stretched myself uh, to do memory work? Who, let's raise your hands. Has anybody memorized a Bible verse in the last year? Well, you guys are way better than me because I haven't. I haven't. Would I be stronger? Would my mind be stronger? Would my faith be stronger? if I trained myself in the scriptures. He wants you to be trained for things of eternal value, men. Hear the voice of Paul echoing from the prison cell across the years with love in his voice for you, young Timothy. He says this, he says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. He wants you to know that you can't be both a man and a kid. You can't be both a man and a child. You can't do this thing and hold on to your childish passions and your youthful desires. It was Dan Kelly who coined the, the term the Peter Pan syndrome in a book he wrote in 1983. That's a long time ago. Um, men who have never grown up. And what he says in that book and, and what sociologists have said uh, since is that there is something in us that can sometimes resist letting go of our youth in a way that uh, we, while we love youth and we enjoy it and we had strength and we had energy in that phase of our lives, while we, if we hold on to our youth in an unhealthy way, it stifles our ability to be human in the world. It could be a 40-year-old career woman who is still out clubbing every night. It could be a 35-year-old man who's fathered three children uh, and isn't caring for any of them um, of different, different women. It could be a gifted, talented young man who's never grown or advanced in his career because he's been afraid of taking responsibility. He's been afraid of taking risk. It could be that classic 25-year-old who lives in his parents' basement. It can be a man or woman who has married a spouse who takes care of them uh, and, and is taken care of by a spouse in just the same way that their parents took care of them. You can marry a parent and not have to grow up yourself. And you can allow a spouse to be a parent to you in a way that, uh, that you don't grow up and that you don't take responsibility in the relationship. Wives and husbands are like, this right now. <laughs> it could be that. It could be a 50-year-old guy who does his job, comes home, is successful in his career, uh, puts the bare minimum into his family, and does whatever he wants the rest of the time, playing games and buying toys for himself and enjoying his hobbies and entertainments. 
You can be a child in a man's body. And Paul says to you, uh, flee those things. Flee those youthful passions and desires. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Pursue those things. Pursue that righteousness. Pursue that goodness. And he goes on again, Paul's voice echoing across the years. Just a couple more to go. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Ask the Lord's servant, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everybody, to teach patiently, endure evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. There are foolish quarrels. There are ignorant controversies. There are all kinds of things you can waste your time on. Uh, he repeats this in 1 Timothy 4, 6, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. He repeats it in 1 Timothy 6, 20, 6, 20, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Avoid all of these foolish things. Yet at the same time, in just a couple verses later, he says, a, a godly man is correcting his opponents with gentleness. So he's not saying avoid the fight. He's not saying avoid confrontation. He's not saying avoid the challenge. He's saying, don't waste your time on stupid challenges. Don't waste your time on foolish things. Be discerning about how you invest yourself. God values your time. He values your ministry. He values what you were made to do in the world. And he wants your uh, energy and your time to be focused according to his will, according to what has real value. So think about your inputs in life. Think about what you're watching on YouTube. Think about what you're uh, reading. Think about what you're, you're taking into yourself and say, am I invested in something that actually I can make a difference in that actually has an impact? Or am I invested in a foolish controversy? He wants you to learn to fight the right fight in the right ways. He goes on. So much wisdom from this beautiful father speaking to us. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, a swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And he says, avoid such people. Hey, that's harsh, Paul. That, that sounds harsh. Doesn't that sound harsh to you? But people are like this. People uh, are lovers of self. Uh, they, they are lovers of money. They are proud. They are arrogant. And we live in a culture that is very narcissistic, that is very self-focused. And Paul says there's only so much that you can pour into such people. There's only so much that you can pour into those folks. Uh, avoid them. They will, they will suck you dry. What Paul wants for you is he wants for you to have good friends. He wants for you to have selfless friends. He wants for you to have Christ-like friends. People who are not lovers of selves, lovers of others. People who are not lovers of money, but lovers of generosity. People who are not proud, but humble, not arrogant, not disobedient to their parents, but obedient, not ungrateful, but thankful people. Collect and find and choose those people and make them your friends. Cultivate good friendships. That's what I want for you. Men, we are terrible at this. 
We are terrible at cultivating friendships with other men. But Paul wants you to have good friends. God, your heavenly father, wants you to have good friends. In order to have good friends, you have to project openness and care. You have to be a person of trust. Uh, You have to listen and ask questions of other people. You have to risk vulnerability. You have to open your own heart. You have to take the time to be with other people. You have to work together. You have to, as men, push and challenge one another and be iron sharpening iron. You need to walk in mutual submission. There has to be give and take in decision making about how the friendships goes, but cultivate good friendships. Find good men and cultivate friendship with them to the best of your ability while maintaining all of your other responsibilities, no pressure. But there's a beauty there and a strength there, and God wants that for you. He's talking again about Timothy uh, moving in his context, moving in his society, avoid those sort of foolish uh, relationships. And he he goes further talking about these people. I think I might have the citation wrong there. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, be sober-minded, enduring suffering, uh, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And we're hearing Paul speaking across the years and saying, don't be uh, somebody who is uh, listening to voices that are, uh, you know, just feeding you exactly what you want to hear. Um, Watch out for those voices. Be contrary to those voices. Be somebody who is willing to endure suffering and not just have a gospel that is all about the goodness that God is doing just for you. Right? I want to just read a couple of quotes from, from a, a, a quite a popular um, Christian author. It says, To believe that God punishes is simply a belief that evil is more powerful than love. When we argue that God judges or calls things sin, we apply finite thinking to an infinite God and reveal how little we understand about how he feels for us. Hello? God doesn't have any right to judge He's not loving if he discerns things in us. Same author. As I've grown sure in love, I've discovered that when it comes to the Bible, there isn't hard stuff in its pages. I just read the parts about love. Christian author. Selling books. The more you put faith in sovereignty, the more you compromise God's goodness. A good God listens to our desires. Jesus didn't die on the cross to pay for our sins. He died so he could be resurrected and prove that God loves life. Teachers whispering honey in our ears. What breaks my heart is I went to Bible school with that man. I went to school with that person who's fallen from the faith. I've written him letter after letter after letter trying to call him back to the truth.
Be like Timothy. Don't write the book that sells the numbers. God wants you not to fulfill yourself. He wants you to fulfill your calling. Man, he wants you to fulfill your vocation. He wants you to be men who are invested in truth, who are invested in the gospel at this moment in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 and 6. Timothy, or Paul is sharing about his purpose. Just a little summary, almost an offhand statement in the midst of other things he's saying, explaining why Paul is doing what he does. He says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher. What Jesus did on the cross for us is a testimony from God that was given precisely at the proper moment in history. And we are so distant from it. We are 2,000 years from it. It did not happen just a couple of weeks ago. You can't scroll back and read about it in your newsfeed on Facebook. There is a testimony that must be given about it in the present by you men. God has appointed you to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to testify to what he has accomplished on the cross. You are to be a gospel people. You are to be a gospel people. You are to... Advance the gospel with your life. You have a purpose. You might have any number of things going on in your life and in your family and in your vocation, the job that puts bread on your table, but wherever you are in that space, that's not really what you're there for. You're there to be a testimony to what happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. That is what you were appointed for. He has called you. And as we said a few weeks ago, he has called you by name. He loves you. Can you hear the voice of Paul echoing in that dank and dark jail cell? Words spoken out to a scribe, the scribe writing them down, carrying them to Timothy preserved by the church fathers and written on the pages of the Bible for you to read, will you be a gospel people? Men, will you be men of integrity? Will you be men of truth? Will you let your life be a testimony to Jesus? Will you let your life be a testimony to him? Simon, you and the team, if you wouldn't mind coming up, that would be great. So summarize, men. God wants you to know your life is to have a powerful impact on others by how you behave and by your conduct. He wants you to know that you're valued, that you're loved, that you're prayed for. He wants you to know that you can nurture and fan the flame of your relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
He wants you to stand firm on the foundation that has been built in your life through words spoken over you and through the scriptures. He wants you to train yourself, exert yourself in the word of God that you might be strengthened for things eternal and not just things temporal and present. He wants you to know you've got to let go of your childhood to become a man and to enter into maturity. You can't have both. He wants you to know that you can fight the right fights in the right way. He wants for you to have rich rich friendships. He wants you to fulfill your calling and not yourself. And he wants you to be a gospel person. That for you men, hearing the words of Paul echoing across the years is a, is a loving words of your heavenly father for you. Will you seek after these things? We're going to sing a song called uh, forever rain. And as we prepared, there was just a line in it that, um, that in the chorus that really resonated as, as us as fathers needing to be fathered. Oh, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. We as fathers need to be fathered. And then the last line of that chorus, so this is like, love me, Lord, I need your love. I need to to be nurtured by you. I need to be cared for you. And then the last line of that chorus just erupts in light of the world forever reign. And so it's like receiving something and then pouring out glory to God, saying, I exist to further your reign, to further your sovereignty, to do your will. And the only way I can be that is if you're my dad, is if you're my father. Let's just stand and sing that together. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca.